Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Fred. He beat COVID Moreland, and on my lap, we have the Hungy Dog, Mr. Odie. You might be able to hear him humming in the background. Fred, how are you? Oh, I am uh, sleepy. I am EP sleepy. Um, <clears throat> but I am doing much better, uh, thanks to the miracles of... Uh, you know, vaccines and medications and sleeping a whole friggin' lot. <laughs> so, um, I have a correction from uh, the show where you were absent from Trevor Dame. I said that the show was awful, or the song was awful. That is actually a lie. The uh, theme song I used is perfect and uh, the best possible theme song. But, yeah. Um, what a couple weeks without you around, Tyler, and then you coming back. I know. Uh, and we were blessed to have RJ City on the show on Monday, which was. Honestly, probably the favorite show of ours that we've ever done other than the Dave Meltzer one because we literally just sat around and bullshitted with him for an hour and 10 minutes. And yeah, you know what? It was perfect. It was it was great because we didn't be like, oh, tell us about this, that, and wrestling. I mean, we asked a little bit about that because I was genuinely curious. But it was really cool to just have a conversation with somebody who – like. With on-screen characters, you don't really know what somebody is off-screen. But watching RJ City on-screen, you could just tell he was just a like a fun-loving dude. And then you get him on the show, and he's just a fun-loving dude. I think it, it's awesome. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, we were very fortunate to be able to have him come on, and uh, I thought it was great. I just thought it was an absolute blast, and uh, we're going to have to get him again. Oh, absolutely. I think it'd be fun to uh, be able to pick his brain. And I would love to um, I would love to hear his thoughts on Stalker Ichikawa. I asked him about Yano, but I didn't want to I didn't want to overbear him with with actually good comedy wrestlers. Next time we um, come in, we'll just like ask him like, you know, 18 different comedy wrestlers and have him create a master ranking or something. I, I thought of a good idea for a show that I think oh, yeah. it'd be fun to do with uh, other wrestlers. Yeah. Where. All three of us each pick a match, and then we all watch it, and then we just talk about it on the show. Just fun wrestling. Just no, hey, bullshit. Hey, do you want to come on the show and just talk about like random ass wrestling matches? Almost like I the, have an idea. I like have an the, idea. Like the Joe and Rich give each other wrestling matches. Yeah, like, kind of like that, but bring in random people who then you can just talk about a lot of fun wrestling. 
that's I, I really like that idea and i have some ideas of how to uh work on that welcome to our production meeting everybody but let's get to the news because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about and we have not talked about uh big business as of yet and big business uh was announced last week so it was announced february 7th that big business will be happening in boston massachusetts on march 13th that would be one and a half weeks after the revolution pay-per-view so the the dynamite on after revolution will be in duluth georgia but it will be in boston the following week and the last time they were at the td garden they did almost ten thousand fans for blood and guts so it's about eight months removed from that show and so far we're going to talk more about it ten tendencies later but i'll mention this one according to wrestletix which if you're not subscribed to the wrestletix patreon this is a great resource when it comes to talking business of professional wrestling because it's no nonsense it's talking numbers and what the numbers mean uh so far um, as of this recording, this, this number came directly from the newsletter, which I think, I don't know if Dave, where Dave gets his numbers. I think it's WrestleTix, but, uh, this was in the observer 5,823 already sold for big business. They sold about, I think it was like 43 or 4,400 during the pre-sale. And this top story could end up getting more, especially as it gets more traction over the course of the next few weeks. Fightful is was the first to report that Okada will sign with AEW, not, hey, we're going to guess as Odie gets the squeaker toy. Of course, he finds the one squeaker toy in a bin of about 50 toys. Um, he will sign with AEW. And there is no for sure when he'll debut. I'm going to be honest. He should debut with Mercedes. They should just make it a pivotal chain, like company-shifting show. And just debut both of them. You know, you could use it to pop two different quarter hours on two different shows and spike the ratings. Or you could create a, an incredibly memorable paradigm-shifting show where we spent almost a year in the sports entertainment world. And this would be about a year removed from the beginning of that with that M- the MJF uh, four-way title match against the other pillars, which started around that time. So that's what I would do. And I want to give credit to uh, Voice of Wrestling Suit Williams, who posted on Twitter that Okada should just come in and win the belt night one. Just challenge Samoa Joe and win the damn thing. And I kind of love that. I kind of love that idea, Fred. You're establishing this guy. If, if Everybody in the fan base seemingly already knows who Okada is. But you're establishing this guy is a megastar. He is the best in the world. And now you have a lot of people who want to change him. And you've got really, really, really fresh matchups with guys like Hangman Page, Swerve Strickland. You could go back to Kenny Omega or Will Ospreay at any time because Ospreay is going is now coming into the company after finishing up with New Japan. Kanosuke Takeshita, how great could that match be? Yeah. There's so many different options. And I love that idea. I threw a lot at you there. So let's kind of start yeah. here. What do you think about um, big business? What do you think about Okada? And what do you think about – we're going to talk more about ticket sales. What do you think about the ticket sales specifically for big business? Okay. Uh, oof. Um, first of all, um, 
I think it's great that they're bringing in both Mercedes and Okada. Um, they will both provide big boost to them, I think. Uh, I know that there's some people that were down on Mercedes after the New Japan run that was cut short by injury. I think that that was far more of an incomplete grade than a, uh, you know, a fail or anything. Yeah. Agreed uh, I, I don't know. Like, it seemed like she popped a couple decent numbers and, you know, and then a couple that weren't so great in Japan. And, um, and then she got hurt and was gone for basically the rest of it. So I don't know what else, what really big conclusions you can draw off that other than she's not the hottest star in wrestling, which yeah. I could have told you that. Um, she just never had a chance to be established in Japan yeah. other than, hey, this is Mercedes Monet. She came from WWE as Sasha Banks, and she had a couple matches. Like, there, You really couldn't truly develop her into a true star in the country of Japan because we've seen it before. Uh, Gaijin will go over to Japan, and they're just not over nearly the same as they are in America and vice versa. Uh, yeah. Japanese stars can come over here and just not be as over. It's... Some of it's a culture thing. Some of it's an exposure thing. Some of it is just an understanding. Like, hey, like, like the CMLL guys, all you know is they're from CMLL, but they came in and they made an impact right away and they got over. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's not always that easy and it depends on the specific crowd because let's just be real. Stardom is a much different, uh, has a much different fan base than AEW. There's some mm-hmm. crossover, of course, but you have to you have to figure out a way to implement them and get them over. And I just don't think they had the opportunity to, because as you said, those injuries. Yeah. And I, I mean, she only worked twice in Japan. Um, and this was in the middle. I mean, granted they were pretty big matches. I mean, Mayu Iwatani is probably, if not their biggest star, one of the very biggest. And then, you know, the other one was in, you know, the middle of Sakura Genesis, which had Izumi and Hazuki, which is like, that's not a bad match, but I don't know that that's really, Drawing that many that's people. That's not even on a stardom top. card. You know? Right, exactly. Uh, and stardom and New Japan do have different fan bases. Um, I, I just, you know, I don't know what big conclusions you can draw off of what she did uh, as far as her being a drawer or not. Um, her ability to kind of boost stardom world in the U.S. or English-speaking world, uh, a la what happened with New Japan world when Chris Jericho had his big match. Uh, you know, I just don't think that that was really uh, an opportunity that she was able to fulfill because of those injuries. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know what she'll mean. I think she's obviously the biggest star in the women's division on day one in AEW as soon as she comes in. Um, does that mean you have to put the title on her right away? No. So I think that is an option. You know, you could have her come right in and beat Tony Storm night one and uh, have her be the champ going forward. Um and that would be, I think, perfectly logical and could even play into the ongoing Tony Storm storyline. Um, but yeah, we'll see exactly what she means. I will say that the Boston numbers currently are good but not great. That is their biggest attendance of the year so far outside of the uh, pay-per-view uh, revolution that's coming up. Um and I mean that's good, but it's also under six thousand, which is not fantastic. Uh, maybe there'll be a bigger pickup as we get closer. Maybe they will add Okada. I do think when they debut Okada, they need to announce it because he draws people. Um, so you know, with that, you have to. I think you can't 
I think it would be better to, uh, especially when you're having issues drawing as they currently are, to have him come in and um, just be like, Okada will be debuting on, you know, March X or whatever at Place Y, and uh, you better buy a ticket. Uh, you better be in front of the TV. You better buy the pay-per-view. However you want to do it, then, you know, that's fine. Uh, I think they're rapidly running out of space on Revolution, but, you know, there's still room where they could do a big match on there. Uh, but I just think it's, you know, a very, I think it's going to be a boon for them. And I do like the idea of putting the belt on Okada in night one because, um, you know, I'm still a little afraid of uh, how Jay White was brought in where for months he just kind of flailed around and did nothing. And uh, I think you need to uh, put Okada in a position to succeed. And I don't think there's a better way to do that than have him be your world champ uh, on night one. So, I think that's a obvious good move, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that they're obviously going to do well in AEW. I think both of them are. Um, you know, I'm seeing some knocks on like, you know, Mercedes promo ability, but that's not a new thing. She was already arguably the most over woman in WWE when she was there. So it's not like that's going to impair her ability in AEW desperately needs uh, a woman in that division that can have great matches and she, she should be able to fill that you know shoe uh, fit the bill um, so it's on them to do that properly and hopefully they do I'm going to disagree with you a little bit I, I don't necessarily think it's uh, the biggest deal in the world if they do or don't I don't think they have to announce Okada coming in uh, I think they're doing a huge tongue-in-cheek thing with Mercedes. But I think by having the $2 signs in big business, mm-hmm. that yeah, everyone they're t- knows they're telling you that's Okada, too. That's my theory. Oh, okay. They're, they're oh, telling you that it's not just Mercedes money. It's also Okada, because Okada's the fucking rainmaker. And you know what? You pay those uh, those union salaries for, for the custodial staff who do the uh, setup and teardown. And you spray as many Okada dollars as you can into the air when he when he makes his debut, like because that's the reason they didn't do it at MSG. That's the reason why you're not going to see it at all kinds of other shows. It matters, like it's that's a big financial commitment to pay uh, some of these guys. You'll end up paying like I don't know, fifty dollars an hour with overtime wages for some of these people to just pick up Okada dollars. Yeah, but for the first time, damn right it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued to see how they handle it. I don't necessarily think that there's a wrong way right now, but we'll find out. Here's my argument for announcing him ahead of time, because I'll skip ahead a little bit on our sheet. Uh, Attendances are still bad, and that's why. Outside of Boston and Greensboro, uh, you know, we got Tulsa next week with 2,300, and then... Next collision is 1620 in Springfield, and then you got the Huntsville double taping with under 2000, and just so on and so on. I mean, Toronto, which is undoubtedly the biggest city they're writing on this list outside Boston, um, is at 3200, you know, and that is a month away, so it should go up. But still, I don't think that's where you'd want to be. Ottawa is 2337. Quebec City is uh, somewhere over 2300. The WrestleTix, I didn't see an update for that. Um, you know, I mean, this isn't, uh, these numbers aren't that impressive. So I have a theory on this. Uh, 
I personally am not going to care that much about AEW attendances being poor until about, I don't know, until about three more months. They fired their guy who was booking their buildings. He's gone. Yeah, but they got got a new one. Yeah, but that's what I mean. The buildings are already booked so far in advance that none of these numbers, I don't think, can truly be reflected on the guy who's now in charge. You have to wait about three months, and you have to wait to see, hey, the buildings he's now booking, what are those doing? And I think the biggest thing that you're going to see is you're going to not go to Springfield, Massachusetts. You're not going to go to Duluth or Savannah, Georgia. You're going to go to big metropolitan areas that you're going to be able to draw bigger crowds from and kind of uh, eschew the the WCW theory of trying to hit all these small towns because of the territory days. Well, the territory days, you could do that because there were still these large pockets of, hey, you know, when Georgia Championship Wrestling went to areas like Savannah and Duluth, they probably drew pretty damn well. Same with Jim Crockett promotions. But this is 2024. It's You can't implement the same kind of strategy. And I'm not saying that's only what AEW has been doing, but going to Duluth and Huntsville, those aren't big-time cities. And it should be no surprise that they are not getting big-time attendance numbers. And to me, that's a really really big deal here it's a big deal i'm yeah i don't care i mean it's still a problem but i want to see what the solution is going to be i want to see like they obviously booked big business and that's double any of these numbers i want to see what happens when they book some of these other areas i will say some of these numbers for canada look a lot better than when they did when collision debuted they look significantly better. Because remember, we were talking about some of those, like the Hamilton show. The Hamilton show was at what, like 900 tickets sold two weeks before the show? Like, I think that we're going to be in a better spot with the new direction. But I want to give it time to be able to manifest an actual opinion. So right now, it sucks. But they got rid of the guy in charge. So now you have to wait for the, the process to change. Yes, I know Odie. Ticket Odie, sales uh... are bad. Odie good over there? O- Odie's like, ticket sales are bad, Dad. We need to fix them. Well, we're trying, bud. We're trying. Um, God. Uh, so, um, so a couple of things I want to point out. And WWE is uh, much more popular than AEW right now. Much hotter, but still. Uh, so that uh, Tulsa show with 2300 for AEW, uh, that was run for a SmackDown last October, and they drew over 10,000. Um uh huntsville alabama for a house show uh which you know uh aw is currently just under 2004 in a couple weeks uh wwe drew 4500 plus um you know these are i think more than just these are not big city issues these are i i I think these are like fundamental issues that aw needs to be concerned about no other metrics are dropping i think that's very good but I think it's also kind of foolish to, uh, you know, just dismiss them out of hand. Like, you know, it's pretty obvious that, you know, something not great is going on. You know, Quebec City, back in August, WWE ran it and uh, had almost 11,000 for Monday Night Raw. Dynamite in a month plus is uh, 2,300 plus. You know, that's that's bad. That's really bad. And uh, I don't know what the solution is. Um, but I, I also think it's more than just give it time. Like they need to be looking at stuff right now. 
I'm not saying panicked. I'm not saying hot shot anything or whatever. But at the same time, like they have stuff outside of a couple Canadian shows and, of course, uh, all in. They don't have anything really scheduled after March 30th. They have uh, three, four Canadian dates, um, and that's it. And I think that the new guy is already controlling the calendar at this point. So, you know, I don't think it's a, a lack of announcing dates, I would assume. So I think the whole idea of giving three months from like right now is, yeah, he's going to be booking some of those shows. I want to see what they look like in April and May with where they're booking, how we're seeing some of the attendances and, you know, the, the brilliance with cage matches. We can look at past dates in those areas if they've booked those buildings before. And I think that's going to be really important to try to help us understand wh- the direction where we're going. And I also think it's important to note that the booking has changed and it, we've had about six weeks where it's felt like old AEW and we're going to yeah. talk about how, like, I think it's back. I think the AEW that we loved so much that enough that we started this podcast is back. But for a lot of the fan base, maybe they want to see more and they want to see, Hey, are, are we going to keep this momentum going? Or are we going to shift back? Because we had, essentially three years of really good and then nine months of kind of stinky. So maybe the, the goodwill is just not at a good enough level right now for people to buy in advance. And we're going to get uh, a good amount of like roll in within a week of the show where you may see like a 20% spike in ticket sales because, Hey, I just wanted to be sure that I was getting what I think I'm getting. And there's still that hesitation in the back of the head saying so. So I I, I want to kind of see how this tracks. And then as you continue to build the goodwill, if Revolution is potentially an all-time show like last year's was, maybe then you have more goodwill and you have a, a hotter product and people are going to be more willing to pre-buy tickets. Um, I also wonder how much of this the lack of ticket sales early has to do with all the deals that they were doing for so long, trying to get more people in the door, buy one, get ones, super inexpensive tickets just to get butts in seats, as Tony Schiavone said. There, there's just so many variables here that I just I want to see the more data come in, especially when we're making this shift to I, I can't remember his name of, of the guy that took over, uh, but what his plan is to get more people in these buildings and booking does have a lot to do with it. And I, I don't know if they have enough goodwill yet for a lot of pre-buys. Yeah, it'll be something to watch. Um Hopefully uh, they do get more people in these buildings because I think the shows have been great the past few weeks. Uh, There is going to be a lag time from that. You know, if people were turned away because of how things were going for the last couple of uh, months of last year. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see, you know. We'll find out. All right, let's let's get some more uh, news updates here. And then we're, we have a lot to talk about with Collision Dynamite. Britt Baker should be returning soon. I don't even know why she's out, if she's taking a, a sabbatical, if she's actually hurt. I don't know if that was ever reported, but AEW sometimes doesn't report these things. Maybe it's just they wanted to keep her off TV for a little bit because of creative. And that happens with professional wrestling, and honestly, that can be a really good thing. But Britt Baker will be coming into a significantly better women's division than when she was last on television. And I'm, I'm excited to see it, especially with Monet coming in. Jamie Hayter appears on social media that she might be 100% healthy or close to it. So 
that's a big one. And I'll be honest, like Timeless Tony is getting to a point where it's becoming close to a good gimmick now. And yeah, I, I kind of talked about that with RJ City while doing the tightrope walk of talking to someone that probably has some kind of level of voice on the gimmick and trying to be nice while saying I didn't like it initially. But I, I think that it's starting to turn around. I thought last night was not as good as it has been recently, but I still do think that they've kind of figured out at least a, a baseline level of how to make that gimmick work. So that's that's. Uh, I thought it was. I thought the little little video package that they had was awesome. I thought it. It a couple blended. too many wacky faces. For me. Look, you're just gonna get the wacky faces. I know. You know what? I don't care. The substance was good, and we'll talk about that. But Britt Baker's gonna come into a much better division, and. I'm really excited to see Britt Baker again in a really good division. Is she going to be improved? Is she going to still have those stinker moments where it looks like she's spent five days in a wrestling school? And then the next uh, set, it looks like she's been a seasoned pro for a decade. Well, like, mm. wh- what are we going to get from Britt Baker? I'm, I'm fascinated to see because she is probably the most over woman on that roster. But the in-ring work can be a, a little spotty. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, 2024 for the AW Women's Division. I think there's a lot of uh, promising talents in the division. I mean, we obviously know Willow Nightingale is great. Queen Aminata has had, like, shown out pretty nicely for herself. I'm not calling for her to be pushed to the top or anything. I'm just saying that, like, she's been a nice revelation. I think Lady Frost quitted herself well a couple weeks ago. Uh, maybe we'll get a little more of her. Uh, at some point, hypothetically, they're going to take the Ring of Honor title off of Athena, and I would assume use her on the main roster some. Um, you know, and Chris Statlander, and I, you know, up and down the roster, I feel like there's actually, you know, we're a lot better off than we were during the originals versus Outcast days. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. QT Marshall's back. Yeah. But not in the role that you were thinking. He is not going to be coming back as a contracted wrestler. He uh, is returning in a purely backstage role. Um, his main job will be talent development and training wrestlers, which honestly I think is what he's best at. And he will be allowed to wrestle for any company other than World Wrestling Entertainment. Yep. Uh, good for him. I... Uh... I've got bad news for him if he was concerned about AEW being too New Japan-like originally. <laughs> Osprey and Okada and Monet coming in. Uh, tough news, buddy. Um, but yeah, I, I still think that's a weird quote that I would have loved to have seen like someone dig into and uh, you know, a little more detail on what he actually meant. Um, Couldn't agree but, more. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I will say this. I, um, I think QT Marshall is a good in-ring performer i think some of the ideas that he's been working have been not good ones uh pretty much the entire aw run uh if he was just kind of a generic like uh you know annoying heel uh i'll say uh tony niece right now i think that's like the perfect level for qt marshall and uh i'd like to see him be used that level somewhere um maybe ring of honor you know if we change our minds but yeah i i enjoy his stuff yeah, his, his I, abilities, I shouldn't say. After I can't say I enjoy his stuff right after knocking like QTV, which sucked. <laughs> yeah, um, let's move on. There will be no collision this Saturday, February seventeenth. NBA All Star Weekend will, is here, and I just it sounds like this is going to be a normal thing because NBA All Star Weekend is a huge deal on the NBA calendar, and I don't think Turner wants anybody competing with it. 
but we are getting a special time for Rampage on Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. This mm-hmm. has been Tonight. a yes Friday night. So this has been normal. Um, Dave said they should have opened with something strong to build the pay per view, but it appears they opened with Sammy Guevara versus Jeff Hardy, and we will not spoil it. But they um, it'll be interesting, and I highly recommend you watch the match. Um, we will spoil it. I'm going to spoil it. Oh, you're going to spoil if it? You, if right, you don't if want you to want... be spoiled about it, uh, I don't know. Skip, skip forward ahead. about a minute and a half. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, Hardy and... Because uh, uh, this got talk online on Reddit and shit. Uh, so, I think we should talk about it. Uh, basically, uh, Guevara messed up a shooting star press and landed with his knees on Jeff Hardy's face. And everyone assumed that uh, he cu- he concussed him. Meltzer reported that it was not con- a concussion. I keep stumbling over my words there. But a, a broken nose, which is not fun. Um, but fortunately, Jeff Hardy avoided a concussion. They went right to the finish afterwards um, and then did the post-match uh, segment of Jeff Hardy uh, floating off Guevara as part of the continued Hardy's heel turn. Um, I think this is a little overblown. Like, we just saw the exact same thing with uh, Wardlow against, who was it, Commander, that he powerbombed a couple weeks ago and looked a little woozy after, you know, getting his uh, face landed on. So... Yeah, but you know, um, the shooting star press is a is a hard move to hit correctly, and sometimes it doesn't go right. I think you can go back to, you know, infamously around twenty years ago, Billy Kidman was in WWE and uh, was doing the move, and then he landed on someone's face, and they decided that no one should do the move anymore. Uh, for and that lasted for quite a while. Um, and uh, honestly, I think the first uh, high flying move in WWE of that type was. Uh, for 15 years was Seth Rollins Phoenix Splash um, if I'm not mistaken so yeah um, this was kind of a story uh, fortunately though I don't think anyone was seriously hurt and uh, that's what's really important yeah it just looks like he, he um, in in the midst of the initial torque of the uh, shooting star press he just got a little bit off axis and mm-hmm. I mean it happens. You see that you see that with Sammy sometimes, you know that yeah. is. Billy uh, Kidman did it too. Like I, think I just brought that sh- up. Yeah. Oh. Duh. Uh, uh, you had that thousand yard stare. So. <laughs> I, I, I I have this thing. I do that. Um, it's I, all right. I, sp- I space it's right, out buddy. at weird times. I really do. Um, yeah, it's all right. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, nothing comes of it. Which is, and so far nothing has, and that's good. Yeah. Um, Kenny Omega is still waiting to see if he needs surgery or not. And we had talked about this a couple weeks ago where uh, I think it was like a seven week process. He might be in a good spot where they don't actually need to do a super invasive surgery where uh, it may heal relatively well on its own, but it's diverticulitis. You just got to, whatever it is, you just got to fix it. And hopefully that he'll be okay. And moving forward, uh, he'll be able to come back as well. Yep. Um, Tony Khan has all but confirmed Double or Nothing is in Las Vegas again. And he also said he wants to do Collision in the same market as a Super Bowl, which makes complete sense because, well, Tony Khan's dad owns the Jaguars and he's a, and Tony's a prominent member of the Jaguars front office. So I think we can expect to see that consistently. And yeah. Yep. Um, I concur. <laughs> a couple more things. Dustin Rhodes is extending his career by two to four more years, and considering how well he's still able to work in the ring, good on him. And Kota Bushi is expected to be out six to 12 months after ankle surgery. 
was it one or both or are they waiting to do the second one i thought it was both but i'm not sure um frankly i think he just needs to take as much time as he can um for the purposes of uh getting ready for the ring i would not rush back if i was him i think uh you know before even the disaster of a match with marafuji he was looking rough and uh, i think it's important for him to make sure that he is right before he comes back i agree completely all right where do you want to go here fred well, I uh, was all coveted up, so I didn't watch Collision. So, if you want to talk about that, uh, go right ahead. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the results of Collision just so I make sure that I don't I don't actually miss anything because there was there's a lot of really good stuff. Um, I can give you the rundown of matches if you want, and you can uh, just. Get I am actually wild. pulling it up right now. I watched Collision live like a good little podcast host. I wanted to see Star Jr. and his finger. And let me tell you, the match they had with the Blackpool Combat Club was fun. We actually had a tap out, which they're, they're doing a little bit more of, which I thought was great. Um, and then at the end, you had the uh, stars of CML come down and uh, attack the BCC. And then the locker room emptied. No, it was FTR. Sorry, this was the FTR one. They challenged anybody. Mm-hmm. FTR comes out, and then on Wednesday we had Moxley versus uh, Dax. Dax, and then next week we're getting BCC FTR. Pretty good. Um, Daniel Garcia versus Shane Taylor rocked. Shane Taylor see, rules, man. He does rule. Did you see Aaron Quinn's uh, a tweet about FTR from Dynamite? I got I got a break in here to read this. Uh, Aaron Quinn, friend of the Voices of Wrestling family uh, and fantastic Twitter account, said, uh, Cash Wheeler getting dropped by the BCC is the most gun control Texas has ever had. Oh, good Lord. That's amazing. <laughs> Aaron rocks. That's, that's that, that, was, that was that was 100% worth interrupting you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, Garcia ended up getting a knee bar on Shane Taylor to finish the match. I gave this four stars. I thought this was great. Wow. It was, I, I mean, Shane Taylor obviously has the boxing background. He comes out with the boxing trunks, and he's just a powerhouse. And Garcia is much more of a technical savant. It was a really nice clash of styles. They worked it well, and I th- yeah, I thought it was great. Um, Kingston still uh, talking shit about Danielson. And what I found interesting is Kingston um, – called what the Young Bucks did, beating up Sting and Darby Allen, disgusting. And Daniel Garcia did as well uh, this past, last week on Dynamite, not this week, but last week. So we have multiple people not involved in this feud talking bad about the Young Bucks and their EVP status. So that's something to keep in mind. But Garcia, sorry, uh, Kingston versus Danielson one-on-one at the pay-per-view at the end of the match after I beat you, you're going to have to shake my hand, which I find interesting. Because that was that was the whole bit with him and uh, Chris Jericho, and Jericho wouldn't shake his hand. Yeah. After that match, so uh, really nice cohesive booking here. I I love that little touch because it's it's just so perfect. Um, Brian Cage beats the living shit out of the Outrunners, Turbo Floyd and Truth Magnum. Awesome. And then Hook comes out and they fight all the way to the back. Look, the Outrunners might be couple of the the greatest jobbers ever they're, they they're just perfect. so good they're perfect they're perfect at their job they're perfect um 
Uh, Lexi Nair backstairs with the Undisputed Kingdom and Tomohiro Ishii. Um, Taven talks about how he never got any emails, texts, or calls from Ishii after being in chaos and getting knee surgery. <laughs> Just, like, Taven's been great in this run, and it's awesome. Um, this is where we get the... This is no. This is actually where uh, Garcia, I think, uh, takes a shot, or Copeland takes the shot at uh, the Young Bucks, not Garcia. Um, and then this this is where I have some problems with the r- rankings. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Garcia on a big winning streak, five and zero on Collision. Uh, Copeland is number three in the rankings, four and zero in the Cope Open, but. Then you have Garcia. He's on a winning streak, and he's about to face Copeland, that for, seemingly for the spot to for the TNT title. That's what they decide on. But Garcia's not ranked. Yeah, like, he's bubbling under. No, it, it's it, to me it was frustrating because of how they kind of set up the match, how they kind of talked about where they were at. For Garcia not to be ranked, I thought was a mistake. I thought they should have put him at f- four or five uh, instead of having him unranked because of how they framed the discussion between those two. I thought that was a mistake, but minor gripe. Um, Willow Nightingale, Chris Statlin, and Stokely Hathaway in the back. Um, Stokely's great, and it seems like this trio is going to be together for a little bit, and Willow had a match against Sky Blue. Mark Briscoe versus Brody King. <laughs> this was great. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Um, they beat the living shit out of each other. Uh, they got a table involved. Uh, Julia Hart got involved, and um, Brody uh, got a Gonzo bomb on Mark Briscoe. <sighs> the, a four and a quarter. This was this nice. was awesome. It was hard hitting. It was no nonsense. Just great stuff. Uh, Julia Hart is just so good in her role. Um, and then uh, I think somebody mentioned that she may be hurt. And yeah, I saw that report. Yeah. Yeah. Just and Wheeler Yuta too. Just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome match. Uh Brian Keith with some with a, just a nice promo in the back. Get you know, uh he's all about his payday. I mean, he is a bounty hunter. So um with your good, bad, or ugly, you stand across the ring from me, you better get ready to pay up, sucker. I thought that was a great line. Um Deanna Perrazzo, um beats Kira Hogan. It was fine. Um, Timeless Tony with Queen Aminata. I really like this. Um, yeah. Queen Aminata has something, man. She does, 100%. And this might have been the best match that Timeless Tony has had. I gave, no. it, okay. I gave it three and a half. It was just really good wrestling. Cool. Um, and then main event, Orange Cassidy, Ishii. Oh, very good. Just four stars. Um, they they kind of put it was uh, these guys have been in the ring before. They kind of played the hits a little bit, mm-hmm. like with both guys, but they structured it really well sequentially. This was just a great episode of wrestling television. Uh, nothing incredibly consequential. Nothing like hey, you need to go absolutely out of your way to see it. If you're just gonna sit around the house or you're gonna clean or fold laundry, or literally do anything. Just throw this on, and just enjoy. 
This this would have been a pay per view in 1992. How quality the wrestling was! Like yeah. it's just great. Cool. It's so easy, so smooth. That that was Collision. All right. Well, Dynamite. Um, you know, I did actually watch that. Have you seen it yet? I think I thought you uh, watched it the night of. Um. Yes. Uh. The wife went to bed a little early on Valentine's Day, so I watched the West Coast feed. Big romance, Tyler Fornes. Uh, She's been sick all week, so. Okay, all right, all right. Um, okay, so we opened with uh, Dax and uh, Mox, and I thought this was a uh, fun little match. I went four stars on it. I thought they just kind of beat the hell out of each other, especially after the first commercial break. And uh, we had a nice tease of the time limit before, uh, you know, uh, Mox got a rear naked choke and uh, Dax tapped out. And, it was nearly uh, simultaneous that you got the, the call of the time limit and the tap out. It was great. Yeah, it was yeah, it was uh, not too far off. Um, and then afterwards, uh, Mox was just not very nice and would not let go. And then uh, Cash came in like a house of fire and uh, tried to beat him up. And Claudio came in and then just one of the smoothest neutralizers I've ever seen. Just like picked him up and dropped him like without even setting him up. It was pretty cool. Um, and uh, BCC walked off after beating down FTR. Um, and uh, that feud will continue. And then we got the setup for Takeshita versus Osprey, which is a hell of a match. Um, and I also am curious as to how Osprey is going to operate within AEW um, going forward. Because uh, you know, are you going to bring him in as just part of the Callus family, or are you going to have him kind of turn here and uh, be a top babyface in AEW? And you know, I think that's a better option. And I think uh, this is the start of conflict within the Callus family. Yeah, um, I think he's going to end up leaving the group. And it's perfect um, because this is just Don Callis' ego saying that this is going to be one of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah. Two of the best with two guys in his stable. It's perfect. It's yeah. set up so beautifully. And then uh, we had Wardlow kill Barrett Brown while Adam Cole did not talk in commentary until the very end. Um, this was exactly what you expect, like three moves maybe. Uh-huh. And Brown got uh, gashed with the knee brace and had, yeah. to get, I think, stitches. Yes, he did. I forgot about that, but he did uh, definitely uh, get cut up by that. Um, I just, you know, we've talked about it before. I don't know where Wardlow is going in this company, but I guess we'll see. Um, Feels like they're just treading water until they can actually get the plan put together. Yeah, but with Okada and Osprey coming in, I mean, I don't know. Are you going to stick to that plan of Wardlow, world champion? You know, like I just... Uh, every day they're bringing in people that are pushing him further and further down the card. And every day mm-hmm. he does not feel warmed up at all. So I don't know, man. Um, Copeland and Daniel Garcia. I thought this was a nice little match, uh, even with the cheap finish. Um, I went three and a half on this. I thought they had a nice, uh, largely technical match and I enjoyed it pretty well. And, uh, I do hope they are not setting up for a, uh, a three-way dance there with uh, heels running in and causing a no contest. Um, fingers crossed on that. I Just because I wouldn't be opposed to it in a vacuum, but the idea that we're uh, going to run basically the exact same kind of storyline as the main event just really undercuts it, I think. But uh, Christian uh, killed uh, Adam Copeland. I do wonder if they're going to do a... Uh, 
injury angle there with uh, Copeland for a little bit so they can set up like a Garcia match, have Christian beat Garcia, and then have Copeland come out for the next uh, pay-per-view cycle. And that's why I don't think it's like the main event because I don't think they're going three-way. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, you know, that was my first thought once they did the the cheap finish. I was like, if this is a three-way, it seems very silly. Uh, and then, uh, man, we had ourselves a uh, talking segment with Samoa Joe, Hangman, and Swerve. And, oh, God. Uh, I thought this ruled, honestly, oh. by everyone. Samoa Joe is the best thing to ever happen to all elite wrestling. He he saved them. He did. He, he saved them from the doldrums of what Max's creative ideas were doing to the company. He's been exactly what you've needed. He is a tone setter. He has set the tone for the company moving forward. And you know what? My favorite line, maybe in the history of the company, I brought back the rankings to see who is worthy of me beating in to challenge for my title. Like maybe a slightly paraphrase. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal stuff. Samoa Joe claiming to bring back the rankings. All time shit. Yeah, and he's like, I don't, I don't care who it is. I'm gonna be both your asses and keep my title. Just this guy was around for the last 20 years, and he was booked well for maybe three years. How how do you screw this guy up? I don't understand. I can understand. Hey, we have other guys that we need to push. You had a long run at the top, so we're gonna let you just do some fun shit underneath for a little while, and then we'll yeah. bring you back up. Yeah, you have to cycle him out. You have to cycle people out in general. Okada got cycled out multiple times in New Japan because things get stale and you have to freshen them up. This dude had one world title win. One. In yeah. like 20 years. And I, I don't know. Was Ring of Honor a world title at that point? When he won it? You could argue that he made it that. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of... Eh. So the Ring of Honor world title... And then uh, he won the NWA world title in TNA. Yeah. And that was it. He held the NXT title twice, but that's not a world title. This guy was so criminally misused for so long. Hookers yeah. um, wasted his career. They did. It, it drives me nuts. He should be. He should have been like an easy Observer Hall of Famer. And instead, I don't think you can really justify voting for him unless you're just like... He was so good that he has to be in regardless of accomplishments. You know, I think that's going to I'll be say a this. super hard sell. This run, and depending on how things shape out in the next couple of years with this company, you could argue that he now has a, a real historical element to his case. But the only thing that's going to prove that at all is time. Yeah. And sometimes that's not enough. Like, there, there's the fifteen fifty rule, and then there's the ten percent rule as well. I don't know if he's ever going to get in, but if he really changes the tonal shift and has a phenomenal title run, I think you could make a real argument that he's got not just a work rate case, but a historical case now too because of what he was able to do for this company. But we may be three years at least from that answer, maybe a decade. Yeah. We just we we don't have a complete data set yet, and that's what's going to be frustrating. Because by that point, he just may never get in, and that sucks. It does suck because uh, 
I don't. I can only think of just a few people that are like that. Obviously, much better than him at pro wrestling as like a basic thing. Um, I enjoyed Hangman coming out, and uh, when you write, re- I'm not. I wasn't mad last week. When you write your reports, don't say that you're mad. In a uh, <laughs> obvious nod to, um, I think you should leave. I think, um, I think that's where that's from. If I'm that's wrong, a drill tweet. Oh, it's a drill tweet. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, but yeah, I thought that Hangman was great as like the kind of guy that is driving himself crazy. Swerve felt like a top baby face. And I mean, Samoa Joe just felt like the perfect champion, which he is whenever he's the champion and you're not an idiot with him. So mm-hmm. boy, uh, Tony Storm segment. Uh, we talked about this a little bit already. Um, I, I love this. I, I thought, thought it was great. Go ahead. Talk about it. So you can have conversations about the gimmick and you can have conversations about, Hey, is it too over the top? Is it corny? Is it dumb that it's in black and white? Fair critiques. All right. Mm -hmm. But where this, if you completely eliminated how this gimmick started and you focus on what this gimmick has been the last six weeks, I think the gimmick is good. I think we're at a point where we can just call it good. It's not phenomenal. It's not X, Y, or Z. It's not one of the greatest things that we've ever seen, but I think it's been good. And this, you had the over-the-top faces. Look, that's just part of the character. That's like too many of she, them. She is portraying a like a 50s Hollywood starlet. Like the over-the-top faces, it's just part of it. But they interwove so much of real like reality, real life, yeah. and a good pro wrestling story with these two having become friends and then Tony Storm got her a contract in stardom and they got those tattoos together. And there's shots of her getting an update to that tattoo, which I, I couldn't quite tell what it was. A knife through it, through the duck. Okay. It wasn't, Oh, it was a knife through the duck. Mm-hmm. And that's just an excellent addition to the story because they got those together matching. Like you don't get matching tattoos with a lot of people. You get it with somebody who's an incredibly close friend or you get it with like a significant other. You don't just get it with some rando. So the fact that Deanna came in, she talks about the matching tattoos, and then Tony Storm builds that into this, I thought was tremendous. I thought it was a great addition. And if that tattoo is actually fucking real, that is incredible commitment to the bit. I love it. I think it's great. I think there are still flaws with the Timeless Tony character, but the way they're telling the story, I'm hundred percent sold i'm a hundred percent on board and this little promo video did it for me i it was great not like nine out of ten just awesome i prefer the the pre-tape promos that she did the past couple shows prior to this uh that i saw where she you know but it was along the same lines the the building off the reality of the relationship with diana and uh um, you know, the, I thought that the reality of this, the storyline really gave this gimmick a grounding that it needed to succeed. And I thought it was a success uh, from that. Um, I thought this was like, you know, there were like 18 cuts to Tony making wacky faces during the segment. That's way too many. Uh, that's my big complaint coming away from this one, though. Um, I thought the content of it was fine. I wouldn't put it at the top of the recent Tony stuff, but I do think that it's uh, much better than it was like at the start. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, they, they've figured out the gimmick to an extent and uh, it is working much better. 
and I think that's cool. Uh, you know, I think there was a similar portion or a similar point in time, I should say, with the Adam Cole and MJF stuff, where I uh, where I said, like, you know, I, I think that they may have figured it out, and then they just did not. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that they do not do a similar thing here, but you know, so far so good this year. So I do think that this is another thing on the show that has improved. And I think if you're, you know, if you're giving it a fair shake, uh, you know, you're going to be less negative on it than you were originally, I believe. Yeah. All right. What is next, Fred? Top flight young. I'm sorry. Uh, the EVPs, uh, oh. Matthew and Nicholas. These shit bags are so good. They are wrestling in the white suits that they got bloodied from beating up Darby Allen and Sting. Yep. Just, it's so good. These guys are perfect scumbag. And I think somebody either put it on Twitter in our, our writer Slack, and I would give them credit if I could. They said that Matt Jackson, I'm sorry, Matthew Jackson, basically dipped himself in uh, spray tan. And it's just perfect. Because he yeah. did, he yeah. looked like he just dunked himself in spray tan, like like he was like he was a chrome bumper, <laughs> just just perfect. Yeah, he he definitely uh, got himself uh, coated there. Uh, I thought that um, you know this was a pretty good match. I went three and a half. Uh, they gave Top Flight a lot, which was kind of you know I think the story of the match was that they just barely survived them, and then acted like they had a fantastic performance in the win, which they really didn't from a kayfabe. Uh, uh, perspective, you know, and of course it took Matt uh, hitting the big low blow on Darius to set up the EVP trigger, which is a fantastic rename of that move. Um, and uh, and then we had ourselves a segment where they bullied Tony Schiavone, which I mean, they're just really good heels. They they are they're at their best when they're heels, and I thought this was a great example of that. Yeah, um... Darby came out said, you know made some insider comments. I do think this kind of like, you don't want to make AW the heel right here. Right. You know, and you got to walk that line a little bit with this gimmick. Uh, if you're going to have young bucks use their actual former, I guess, if I recall correctly, EVP roles, though, I don't know if they're still actual EVPs. Uh, I thought that they gave those up when they resigned, but I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, Darby made a bunch of comments about how when you sign, when I signed at first, he looked past me. Um, you know, you didn't push me. You went in favor of your California buddies like Brandon Cutler. Um, and you need to stop uh, goofing off. This is about Sting's last match. And he's got nothing to lose. I thought that was a, you know, outside of the insider stuff, which may have been too insidery. I thought this was a good little promo. Why is he putting over Cody Rhodes? Like, what's What's the point of putting over Cody Rhodes in the sense of AEW canon? Is it to get under the Bucks' skin? Is there something deeper at play? We, we all know the connection that Darby has with Cody. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm just confused what the angle is here for Darby to put over somebody that's not in the company that's in your biggest competition's company. I, to me, that, that construct feels a little odd. And I'm... Maybe I'm just overthinking it, and it's just a a cheap shot at the EVPs, but it just felt weird. Yeah, I thought some aspects of this promo were weird. The Cody one didn't bother me too much because, you know, we've always said AEW, you know, is at the center point of 
professional wrestling. That's how they like to position themselves. And if it's pro wrestling, it's part of AEW. And uh, Cody is always going to be part of AEW, um, regardless of if slash when he returns. Uh, but I thought this was just a little, you know, acknowledgement of their shared history as EVPs and maybe a little wink at the, uh, you know, the, the past uh, disagreements and stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, it's a work shoot, uh, you know, storyline, obviously, and gimmick. And, uh, you know, I think they had to kind of work that in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm just going to chalk it up to maybe that line just isn't for me. And that's OK. Yeah. Not everything yeah. on every wrestling show is going to be for you. Uh, we had a little short segment where the Bang Bang Scissor Gang declared a uh, they'd be having a 12-man match on Rampage. So you can tune in early tonight and see that. Uh, and then we had Sky Blue versus Willow Nightingale. And uh, I had gone multiple weeks without seeing a Sky Blue match. And uh, this was, of all the matches I've ever seen, Tyler, this was one of them. <laughs> it wasn't Willow bad. Beat- Willow beat the shit out of her. It was great. She did kill her. Oh, uh, the Willow well, Palance is, is amazing. And look, uh, I don't know if she grew up watching Monty Brown tapes, but it feels like she grew up watching Monty Brown tapes. That look, Pounce is good, good. It is a really good. She also does a great spine buster, too. Um, Willow's going to be, like, I think we need to, like, do a serious push with Willow this year. Uh, 2024 needs to be Willow's year. Uh, but I thought this I, was. I want to hold off on that. I don't know if you can, like, I'm not saying you can't do it, but it might be better to wait just a little bit because her push just might get completely overshadowed by um, Monet and then Hater returning. Uh, I think you might have to just keep keep uh, spinning the wheel a little bit with her. And I, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I think she's ready. I understand, yeah, yeah. But you don't want her first really big push to get completely overshadowed by everything else that's going on in the company. So you might just want to hold off a little bit. I, I it's it, it sounds weird, but no, I get if, what you're you're, if you push too many people hard at once, somebody's going to get screwed on their push. And it might be better to not push them really hard and then give them that push at the latter end of some of those and then make her a bigger focus of your programming because that's how you're going to really get her over rather than, oh, they tried pushing her, but it just didn't work out. Well, why didn't it work out? Osprey, Okada, Monet. Like, yeah. It's fair if it doesn't work out better compared to those three, you know? I I would be very careful on starting to push her because of those reasons. But it's clear that she's developed enough. She's got the charisma. She, like, she's got so much charisma that she overshadows Stokely a little bit. That's pretty impressive stuff. But I, I would just... Be cautious of pushing her too quickly, considering everything else that you have going on. I don't want her to all of a sudden not like get pushed and then get buried because it just didn't work out the way you wanted. Because that could kill her. Yeah. And um, uh, I thought that was an okay match. Two and a quarter stars on it. And then uh, Matt Taven against Orange Cassidy. And uh, hold on, two and a quarter. Yeah, two and a quarter. Three stars. That pounce alone deserved like three quarters of a star. We we grade differently, but I'm still going to call you off for being a coward. You you go, you've gone up close to six stars and you're only going to give that two and a quarter. Willow was a monster. It was a slightly above average match, I thought. You coward. (laughs) All right, let's talk about main event Taven, baby. That's right. Uh, Madison Square Taven. Uh, This was a damn good match. Um, 
you know, I, I wasn't sure about it being a Texas death, but uh, Orange Cassidy is a sneaky good uh, garbage wrestler. And were they uh, in Texas? Yeah, they were, which you know okay. is why they did. It, I think. Uh, but yeah, this ruled, especially after the commercial. Um, so good. these two just killed each other. Both of them were bleeding real good. Uh, Taven, I swear to God, he broke his neck on a plancha onto a table propped against the announcer table. And uh, that was nasty. And then, uh, we got all the weapons with the thumbtacks and Trent Beretta coming out with a pipe wrapped in a dozen roses. Um, the, the box of thumbtacks from Chuck Taylor in a big Valentine box. Like it's good stuff. So I, I, I thought this kind of rock. I went four and a quarter on it. Um, you know, just a little short of four and a half for me. Uh, just something was missing for me to go like, this is uh this would have been a match of the year contender in you know, some weaker years, 20 years ago or whatever. So mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. What did you think? Oh, this is great. Um, I gave this four and a half. Excuse me. Matt Taven, everything I've seen of Matt Taven just, just bored me to tears. I, I don't think he's a bad wrestler. I just think he's not exciting. He's just, he's kind of just that guy who goes in, does all this stuff technically right, but doesn't exude a ton of charisma, doesn't really have the gear to take things to the next level. And that's like fine. You can be that guy. Like the rosters need guys like that. And I think he's better in a tag team setting in a faction where other people with a lot of charisma can like, hold those roles and he can be the guy to be a really good compliment. Here, I was a little worried that this wouldn't go so well because like Taven's just like he's he's a very competent wrestler, but he's not exciting. The effort that he put in here. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you talk about people who are, like, body guys, people who are flashy guys, people who are technical guys. I love effort. And you know what? If things don't work, but you bust your ass, I'll give you a lot of credit for it. He did not have to do some of the shit that he did, the bumps in the thumbtacks, and the, um, what do you call it? He he did that uh, drop kick to Cassidy, I think it was through the ropes and Cassidy doesn't go through the table and just kind of stands there almost like he's in a power squat position. And then he does the tope and he basically does a tope. He topes himself through a table. Yeah, that's crazy. The dude's like 40 and he, he does not wrestle on TV super often. And he's putting in effort. Like he's a backyard wrestler trying to earn his first payday. Just a lot of respect for David. And then the promo he caught afterwards uh, that was released on social media and I think YouTube was phenomenal. I didn't get to watch that sadly, but I'll have to look that up. I I don't know what Taven's ceiling is, and I, I don't think he's ever going to come close to something like the AEW World Title. I don't even think he's going to come close to the Ring of Honor World Title. But this is somebody that I think you can get a lot of mileage out of. You can get a lot of usage, and I think this company is extracting the best out of him that we may have ever seen. And I think that's really freaking cool. Plus, I mean, it helps that you're in the ring with Orange Cassidy. But Orange Cassidy didn't outshine him. This felt equal. This felt like two equal wrestlers fighting. And I think that's why I really enjoyed it that much. Yeah, this was, uh, I like this a lot. And uh, 
I, I think Taven uh, and Bennett could be like very solid high end tag guys for for a while in AEW, and uh, I think they're both motivated to succeed in the ring. I think you've seen that with the career moves they made. Uh, and I, I like Taven. I think Taven's a good wrestler. Uh, I would not put him in the main event of the company, if, especially like a Ring of Honor that is not booked particularly well by uh, Delirious. He, you know, Taven was the world champ in a pretty dreadfully dreadful period of Ring of Honor creative, um, and uh, suffered from being the champ that was like part of their never-ending ladder match in a Madison Square Garden show that, you know, no one really wanted to see the Ring of Honor guys. They were there for Okada and the rest of the New Japan crew. Uh, and that wasn't anything wrong with Taven. It was just, you know, unfortunately, wrong guy, wrong spot. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I thought it was an awesome match, and uh, I thought that it was uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, it this was just this is a great world wrestling show again mm-hmm. and it's so awesome like we, some of these shows have have been a drag man because we've been talking about so much shit and burying the same things week after week after week it's cool that we can just get back to i love wrestling and the wrestling is good and the people that are burying it are not the people you want to like it because they're never going to like what this is. We like what this is. And by we, I'm not talking you and me. I'm talking people like us. People who love the world of professional wrestling. People who want to see simple pro wrestling stories told over the course of time. I want to beat your ass. All right, let's go and fight. And they beat this living shit out of each other for 20 minutes. Pro wrestling. Not like... Roxanne Perez, I want to be a WWE superstar. Not the fake-ass cadence, not the the shitty Eddie Guerrero, D. Malenko tribute roll-up spots that look like they're performed at 50% speed. No, real pro wrestling. Guys and girls who want to just beat each other up to win the title. That this That's what this company is again. And it's... Yep. it In my line of work... Like, look, I'm lucky as hell, and obviously I worked for it, but you all, you have to have a little bit of that luck element. I get to talk and write about football full-time and get paid a salary to cover my bills. I'm very lucky. This is a passion project for me, and it was hard to do for a little bit. It is not hard anymore because AEW is what we fell in love with, Fred. Yeah, it's been a nice stretch, really good stretch. And... I just hope it keeps continuing. And you know what? We put our money where our fucking mouths are. We're watching this and we're loving it. And if I get this new gig that might be coming, I'll be buying a few more t-shirts, baby. <laughs> well, uh, you want to talk about your experience at the, uh, at mobile and the senior bowl a little bit real quick or. Yeah. For those of you who know me, I'm white as fuck. And that plays into the story. Uh, so we go to the South Alabama campus, Hancock Whitney stadium, and it's split into two, the NFL personnel and like higher end media, like guys at ESPN, uh, guys at NFL network, they are able to sit on the media side. Uh, and we have to sit on just normal, like steel bleachers, no backs. Like, look, it's a college football stadium. You're not going to get creme de la creme seats. So 
we're there and first day is 60 degrees and it's really nice. So I wear shorts. I'm really excited. I'm wearing shorts. If you don't, if you know me, I hate pants. If I could never have to wear a pair of pants again, I would be happy. I will wear shorts 24 seven, but we're sitting there and we're just watching practice. We're out there for about eh, four hours. My entire face is beat red because I got sunburn, like real bad sunburn. And I wasn't the only one. People with like European-esque complexions, like, like, you know, white. We all got cooked. I was sunburned for like, uh, it was like a week and a half until it was fully healed. It was bad. But man, did we have a good time. I talked to, uh, one of my struggles with this industry is going up and introducing myself to people and starting a conversation. And you have to do that with some of these players to like ask them questions, get answers and stuff. And I felt like I actually took a step forward there, which I thought was really cool. And I had a blast. You know, the camaraderie that you build with some of the people in the industry, the things that you learn about the industry, that you learn about these prospects, because practice is the most important thing because it shows you like little things that you may not necessarily get to see on game film because of scheme and stuff. And it shows you translatable things. And it was great. Um, I love going down every year. It's not an inexpensive trip. Let me tell you, it cost me like, I'd say 1200 bucks out of pocket. I, nobody pays for me to go. I have to pay myself. So I highly recommend anybody who's big into football to go because it's a great learning experience. You meet some incredible people in the industry but it, it's work. I did my live YouTube show on Monday and Wednesday in the backyard of my Airbnb. Like I had to bring my own equipment, get all set up, but it was awesome. We had some great food. Seafood down there is phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's a great time. But let me tell you, I, I got down there Monday afternoon. By Thursday morning, I was ready to go home. It's it's grueling because you go watch practice, you talk to people, you go back to the Airbnb, you do your content and then you go out to dinner and then you probably go out for drinks to go talk to more people and then you're done. And then by that point it's like three in the morning and you got to wake up for a nine thirty AM practice and it's multiple days. It, but it's a lot, a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, I am going back to sleep because uh, COVID sucks. I'm still recovering, and uh, yeah, I'm going to take a naparini. So, yeah. With that being Thanks. said, like, comment, subscribe, all the fun things. Um, help us out. Those things make a difference with the algorithm to help spread this show to multiple, multiple people who want to hear uh, two uh, mid thirties white dudes talk about all elite wrestling. Like, and hey, look, you get some cool music in the background because That's Fred right. doesn't know how to mute his damn phone. I did mute my damn phone. It's my wife, so she gets through. So, oh, priority. <laughs> you tell Nicole, I told her, boo. Um, with that being said, I'm Tyler. He's Fred. We will see you next week. Take it easy, everyone. Hello there. My name's Neil David, and I'm the host of Euro Graps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, 
Pro Wrestling North. We don't care. We talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.